Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Welcome to Healing with Worth. We are your hosts, Naomi and Janine, and we are privileged today to have with us Randy Gray. She is a licensed and board certified professional counselor and the owner of Randy Gray Counseling, where she counsels and also is a clinical supervisor to several other counselors. She has a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling and is currently working on her doctorate degree in psychology. She's trained in both EMDR and somatic experiencing and specializes in working with trauma, betrayal trauma, anxiety, depression, addiction, and improving overall self-esteem. She has facilitated both women's trauma recovery and addiction recovery groups. Randy has been married for 26 years and has seven children, and we are so privileged to have her here with us to share all of her expertise and training and information that she has to share with us on both EMDR and in our next episode, Somatic Experiencing. So thank you for being here with us, Randy. We're so grateful that you're willing to give your time and come on and talk with our audience about these two topics. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So we invited Randy on the podcast to specifically talk to us about EMDR and somatic experiencing, primarily because these tools are often used in betrayal trauma as effective ways to get the trauma out of the body. And so we'd like to to first talk to you, Randy, about the differences between this type of trauma work and talk therapy. Help us understand why this would be important to include in working through betrayal. The using EMDR and somatic experiencing, it's it's a deeper level of work. So a lot of the times the work that people might be used to doing in talk therapy, maybe like building some tools and healthy coping skills, gaining awareness of different areas that they need to be working on. Those are all important. The trauma work stuff just is deeper level work. So we're able to go in there and the way I define it is we get to get the roots of what maybe some of the symptoms are that they're experiencing. And we get to go in there and get that deeper level work done, which the talk therapy and the other types of therapy, it does teach you how to manage the symptoms or how to manage emotions. The somatic experience in the EMDR it gets what causes that, the fuel for the fire. We're able to get in there on that deeper level and work those things and process the roots of it. And so a lot of the times when we're able to do that, the symptoms that people are experiencing, they lessen significantly. And then the work that they're doing to manage or the work that they're doing to plug in their healthy coping, they just don't have to work so hard out there. So it's just a deeper level work. And we know that the brain doesn't store trauma in a way that talk is going to be effective it's, that's not, that's just not how trauma is stored in the brain. And so it's stored in the right side of the brain. And that's the very emotional side of the brain. The left side of the brain is language and thinking and, and talking kind of stuff. So when we're looking at trauma, 
the, the emotional brain doesn't have access to the part of the brain that has language and trauma is in that right side of the brain. So when we're using something that's talk or language to work trauma, that's not even where the trauma is stored. And so we want these things that allow us to work with the right side of the brain or like with EMDR, allow us to work with the memory networks so that we can get that work done and processed and moved where like talk or CBT or something like that just isn't going to do it. Yeah, that's a really interesting understanding with the right and the left brain and not having that connection to be able to pull it out of the right brain where it's stored. What is EMDR therapy? What does it consist of? Okay, so EMDR therapy works with the memory networks of the brain. So when someone is experiencing something that may be overwhelming, the fact that it's overwhelming, the way that the brain is going to store that is just going to be like inadequately processed and it's going to be maladaptively stored and inadequately processed. And that's where we get the trauma piece. During the event, it was just too much. It was overwhelming. So your brain didn't get to, to experience that and store that in a healthy way. And EMDR allows us to go in there and get those things that are maladaptively stored and not all the way processed. And it allows us to, to process it and to work it. And really it's taking it from the unhealthy memory networks where it stores when it's trauma and getting that process on it so that we can get it stored into the healthy memory networks. And you still remember it. It's still the story. You know what happened. It just doesn't have, for example, the triggers on it. Like you won't have those emotional reactions or floodings or sometimes physical reactions because the brain was able to fully process it and store it in a healthy way. And now it's over here into your healthy memory networks. And so you don't have to deal with when you get really triggered. And that's very helpful, whether we're working betrayal trauma or anything, because when you get triggered, it really does pull you out of your present moment, right? Whatever present moment situation you're in, as soon as that trigger hits, you get yanked right out of it because now you feel threatened. And that's where we get reactive impulsive behaviors. That's where emotions really run in the show. If we think about what do we know about high emotion, as soon as we hit that place of high emotion, that rational thinking, logical part of your brain shuts off. It leaves the building. And all you're left with is that reactive impulsive part of your brain. And then we're trying to have conversations there or solve problems there or write emails there or whatever it is when we don't have access to that part of our brain that we need to do those things. And so when we're able to do EMDR and lessen the likelihood that you're going to get triggered, you get to stay in your present moment more often. You get to be aware and you don't have to experience that thing where you lose that rational, logical thinking part of your brain which is very helpful because let's say you haven't done any work and you're getting triggered two, three, four, five times a day. That's exhausting. Also, that's a lot for your body to have to deal with because all that emotion hits, you get yanked out of the present moment, which means any, all the experiences that that trigger were attached to just, they just land right in your present moment. So it's very exhausting for the body because you have to manage that. You have to go on that roller coaster ride. If you're a little bit aware, you might take care of yourself and, and get it back where you want it. If you're not aware, who knows what, you're just going to probably be reactive and impulsive and that's exhausting. And the other thing would be sometimes people get that flood and then they have to shut it all down, which means they might just completely disconnect or dissociate from it. And then that's how they're having to exist. So a lot happens when our brain has these experiences stored in our unhealthy memory networks. And when we do something like EMDR, we're able to get them over to the healthy memory networks and you don't have to deal with all that stuff we just described. So if we're talking talk therapy, coping skills, self-care, 
we need all of that. I do all of that absolutely before I even do EMDR. But then you have to work that hard out there all the time. So you might know and have awareness, okay, now I'm triggered and know what that feels like in your body and know what the thoughts are and then go take care of yourself in it and plug in your tools. And we absolutely need and want that. But if I'm choosing, I don't want to work that hard out there for the next 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years. So I think we need both. Absolutely. I like the EMDR because we're still going to use all that stuff we just described as far as coping and awareness, but you don't have to use it at a level 10 all the time. So I think that's the benefit of plugging in something like EMDR because it allows us to work with those overwhelming experiences our brain just couldn't process and couldn't store in a healthy way. And it lets us access that and then do the work with it. So I'm curious, does this help with cortisol levels then? Absolutely. Can you imagine like what happens to those levels when we hit a big trigger? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. As you were describing that, I'm thinking this would greatly reduce the cortisol levels that seem to flood our system in these situations. Because a big piece of feeling triggered, right, is feeling threatened for whatever reason, there's some kind of threat that floods the system. So absolutely, we don't have to have those kind of hormone and chemical dumps so often either. Yeah. So describe the process. Let's say we're listening to this or our listeners, a listener is listening and thinking, this is something that I think would really be effective for me. Kind of describe for us the process, what one would expect during a session. Okay. So a lot of times people think EMDR is the, the actual processing piece where we're using the light bar or using the beeps from ear to ear or buzzer from hand to hand, which maybe we'll talk about. I'm assuming everybody knows what that is. Maybe not. So when we're processing this stuff, that processing piece, we just talked about your brain needs a bilateral stimulus. That's what they call it. I was drawn to EMDR because it was something that your brain does anyway. So when we're asleep at night, we're in a REM cycle. If you've ever you know, seen somebody sleeping, you can see their eyes going back and forth sometimes. So during the REM cycle, your eyes going back and forth is a bilateral stimulus and your brain kind of kicks into doing this process on its own. Now, granted it's in your sleep. And so we don't get to tell it what we want it to work or make sure it completes, but the brain does do that process. And in a big way, you might see it with combat vets where they will come home and have the same reoccurring nightmare or nightmares. There might be one, there might be four, but because it, the brain, as soon as that REM cycle hits, the brain is attempting to process that. But what usually happens is they wake up. There's some kind of startle and wake up that interrupts it. And the brain's trying to help you out. It does it again the next night. And that's how they get in that cycle of those reoccurring dreams because the brain is trying to process it. I was drawn to EMDR because it was something that your brain does anyway. So anytime I find a treatment modality or even a tool or coping skill, that's sort of innate to the body. That just makes sense to me. We can use the wisdom of the body. So with EMDR, we're using that same thing that happens during a REM cycle. So some people, some counselors will use a light bar where you follow basically just a dot so that your eyes are mimicking a REM cycle going from corner to corner of your eyes. I usually use, we put on headphones so it beeps from ear to ear, and then I have buzzers and it buzzes from hand to hand. That creates a bilateral stimulus. And if we're going to be doing EMDR for a long period of time, it's just more comfortable to me to use the beeps and the buzzers. So that's what happens during the processing of it. And a lot of times when people hear EMDR, they think that's what it is, right? The beeps, the buzzers, the light bar, and we're processing. EMDR actually has eight phases of it. And so 
it starts with history taking. It starts with coping and self-care. It goes through these different phases to get identifying what we want to work, then doing that processing with the beeps and buzzers and then future templates. And so it's really this, it's a more drawn out experience than I think maybe some people imagine it is to be. There's wisdom in that also, because if we talk about trauma work, it is a deeper level work. We're going in there and maybe taking lids off stuff you've had nicely sealed up and tucked away for years sometimes. And so if we're going to start taking lids off your stuff, I want to make really sure that you know how to take care of yourself. So we'll spend multiple sessions sometimes on that in preparation for EMDR, because if you're going to get hit with an emotion out there or hit with a trigger out there, I want you to know exactly what to do, right? You're not confused. You're not stuck. You don't have to think about it. You know exactly what you plug in to take care of yourself. So we spend a lot of time on something like that because I just think it's so important because if we take the lids off your stuff and I just start processing with you and then say, see you later, see you in a week or see you in two weeks, hope you survive out there. That's just not a very kind thing to do. So I want to make sure that you're well-versed and we've practiced and we've talked about tools and we've had time for you to be out there and implement them and then come back and talk about them. Did it work? Did you like it? Did you catch what you were feeling? Sometimes that's where it starts. We have to back all the way up to when you're out there, do you notice when you're stressed? Do you notice when you're sad? Do you notice when you're lonely? Because sometimes people there, I just call it checkout. It's like being dissociated, like lights on nobody's home kind of thing. Sometimes people, because of trauma, that's what they're using to survive, just staying disconnected and autopiloting through the day. And sometimes people are very high functioning in that. So it looks fine. They get a lot done, but there's a disconnect from self. And often we have to start there. Do you even notice when you're feeling something? Do you know what you need throughout the day? Are you part of the equation throughout the day? Or is there this disconnect and, and kind of like box checking throughout the day. So even that is part of EMDR because I want to know that when you feel something and we've practiced it a ton, and then I want to know that you know exactly what to do everywhere. So if you're at work and you start to feel stressed, how quick did you catch it? Were you two minutes in? Were you two hours in? And then when you notice that, what did you do to take care of yourself? And I'm at work, so I got to have tools I can use at work. It might be a breathing exercise or walk outside for a minute or use a finger mudra or whatever it might be so that we know you have all your choices for all your situations and the awareness is there. So that process of EMDR includes all of those things. And then the actual processing part, which I think people are probably most curious about is when we're using the beeps and the buzzers or the light bar, and we're actually working something that we've identified that we want to work something that's important. So if you're going to go out there and get some EMDR with somebody or somatic experiencing, when we get to that, I think something that's really important that people know is that they've had all that preparation work because that's what keeps you safe, honestly, and keeps you able to take care of yourself. And then you really want to know beforehand that when we're using trauma modalities, it is hard work. It's not butterflies and rainbows, but it should not feel overwhelming. You should not feel like when you're working, it's unmanageable. I think that's part of being a trauma-informed therapist, that when we're working with a traumatized nervous system, there is a, a deep level of awareness there that we don't go too fast, like too deep, too fast. There is a, it should always feel manageable. And sometimes that means working from the outside in. And sometimes that means going very slow 
Because if you hit overwhelm at any point during processing, you're not processing anymore. You're just an overwhelm. And that's part of why talk therapy doesn't work, right? As soon as you start talking about the trauma, your body is activated. You are experiencing the trauma again. And so that's part of why I don't think it is effective to just talk about it. Sometimes people need to tell their story and that's very healing. That's not what I'm talking about, but for working and processing it, as soon as we start to talk about it, your body is activated. And so when we're working, we don't want it to be re-traumatizing. So for anybody out there going and seeking this, it shouldn't feel that way because I have had people come in and, and describe their experience and probably somebody did go too fast, too deep, too fast. So I think that's important for people to know. It should feel manageable. You shouldn't feel overwhelmed and it should be slow enough that you're able to stay connected and your body and your brain are able to continue to process it. Because if we hit overwhelm, you're just not doing that. And that might look like getting a really bad headache or feeling nauseous. We might touch it, but we're going to back right out of that really quick. If that happens, I try really hard to have that not happen. And usually it doesn't every once in a while, of course it will. But so I think that's important for people to know, like it should feel manageable. You should have all that preparation work done and it should not feel overwhelming when you're working. That's a big piece. Are there ever times that you get clients that want to go deep fast? I think just in experiencing and, and being in this world for so long, I think there's sometimes an eagerness for people to just, let's get this show on the road. Let's move through this therapy. Let's do everything. Let's process everything. Let's get it all done and then have to slow them down. And like, this isn't going to be a quick thing. This is going to take some time. Yes. So that's very normal. I hear that very often. And I get that too. Who wants to sit in the yuck? Like I get that. If we could just wave a magic wand, I would go there. Yes. I hear that all the time. And often we just have to talk about it. We have to map it out in a realistic way, because if we're looking specifically at betrayal trauma, when that person comes in, often we have to lay that foundation of what are your anchors? It's going to be self-care and boundaries. And we got to get good at that first. And that takes practice and that takes time because a lot of the times there is that disconnect and there is that writing yourself out of the equation. So how do you take care of you? We've got to get that nailed down, right? How do you set and hold boundaries? We have to practice that because it's trial and error out there, right? Like you might go set a boundary and then maybe your person completely overrides it. And then how do you step back in and do your work in that? And so we have to wait for those experiences to come up. And we have to wait for them to get a chance to practice those things because that's an, an, that's part of their foundation. That's part of what's going to keep them okay. And that foundation has to be solid before we can drop into this deeper level work. So we, a lot of times, yeah, like you said, we just have to map out where they're at and what the work looks like and maybe what the A, B, and C is going to be and validate that, yeah, it's frustrating. And yeah, what part of what is hard is that it's a process and it takes time and we get that and we got to take care of ourselves in that. Yeah, I get that a lot, but I get that. I would want that too. So yes, I get it, want it to be done and it just doesn't work that way. So going back to some of the prep work, what I hear you saying is that there needs to be an awareness of your emotions. There needs to be a foundation of self-care and boundaries. Is there anything else that might be helpful that I've missed in this preparation for EMDR? Those are huge. I think one piece that I often do just in my experience, I see with people is 
we talked about a little bit is that uh, disconnect. It's that checkout. So often we have to build awareness there too. So I'll tell people, we'll talk about what that looks like. It's just that disconnect. We'll talk about how maybe that shows up for you. It might be like you're driving down the freeway and you miss your exit, right? Because you're driving, but you weren't there. And so you missed your exit. It might, sometimes people get from point A to point B and they won't quite know how they got there. It might be someone's talking to you and you just didn't hear anything they said. Then there's the checkout behaviors, which might be scrolling on social media. You think you were there for five minutes and 45 minutes came and went. Maybe binge watching Netflix. So we can talk about what that might look like, because if it's just this vague thing, I think people miss it. They don't know what that looks like. And then they'll go out there and someone tells them a story and they didn't hear any of it and they didn't notice they were disconnected. So we'll talk about what that looks like and how that might show up for them. And then usually they'll be like, oh yeah. And they'll give their examples. So often that is a piece of the work we do. And I'll tell them, just start to notice, which sort of sounds like an odd thing. Like notice when you're checked out, you're not going to notice you're checked out because you're checked out. But usually you'll notice when you come back. So I'll tell them, just watch, because if you're aware and you're thinking about it, you will notice when you come back. And that gives them awareness on how often that's happening. And often it's happening a lot. And it's a little shocking and a little jarring when they start to notice how often that's going on, how often they miss their exit, how often they sat down and, and just started scrolling social media or whatever their things might be. That is a huge piece, I think, of the prep work. So betrayal trauma, I always nail down self-care and boundaries. I think in general and, and often with that work as well, we have to watch that disconnect piece because that's what trauma does. It's overwhelming. And so there is a disconnect from self that checkout sometimes becomes your coping and we get that. And if you've got childhood trauma, that absolutely was your coping because we don't have power choice control as kids. And so that disconnect is very effective. And sometimes people will come in and be like upset or frustrated. Like, why am I doing that? And maybe want to put in some critique or even some shame sometimes. And I always tell them, we don't want to do that because that checkout, that disconnect up till this point served you. It did its job. That's how you survived whatever it was you were surviving. And so I always tell them we are just going to like lovingly replace that because it did its job. That was wisdom of the body that gave you that. So we're not going to shame it or judge it or critique it. We're going to be aware of it. And now that we know better, we're going to do better. And that's what we're going for. But that checkout served you well. We just, it's not anymore, right? Now it's getting in the way of you taking care of you. So I think that's just a big piece I often cover with people. Yeah. So when you're sharing this, I'm thinking this seems like it would be really helpful for my spouse and, but I don't hear it taught about, or I don't hear it to be something that might be effective for their recovery as well. But I do hear it in the betrayal recovery world, but I don't necessarily hear it so much in the addict recovery world. It's absolutely just as relevant to them because addiction is a checkout behavior. Exactly. It is a disconnect. That's the connection that I made as you were speaking was that's exactly what they're doing is they're disconnecting from absolutely their stress, their life, whatever, you know, is going on for them, their emotions. And, but I don't hear it talked about is something that is commonly used. Do you work with addicts a lot or? I do. And we absolutely do that with them because we already know they have a big checkout behavior. We already know that secret. 
No, right. So plugging in that piece of often too, the addiction becomes the only coping skill, right? So you can see how this is all going to tie together right now, because if I feel stressed or if I feel sad, or if I feel mad, I'm just going to go act out. I've trained my body now to be so disconnected. It only knows one coping, which is go plug in that acting out behavior and that disconnect, that dissociation thing that happens. I I find very rarely when I'm working with addicts that they are very aware and present and choosing. It is often their body is overwhelmed. It's been feeling whatever it's been feeling for long enough that, and if we're not plugging in healthy, the body can't tolerate that indefinitely, whether it's stress or anxiety or sad or mad or lonely, your body cannot tolerate that indefinitely. So if we're not plugging in healthy, the body's just, it's going to get a break. And if, if it knows I can go plug in this addiction or this acting out behavior, it's going to go do it. They're just usually not present and aware and grounded. We get that fog roll in before the acting out behavior happens. And so you see like those foundational pieces, how they all work together and the addicts need it just as much as the betrayed, all of that work we just talked about, because if they aren't noticing when they're feeling something, they're not going to catch it to plug in healthy coping. The body's not going to tolerate that discomfort indefinitely. And then that urge temptation thought to act out is just going to get louder and louder. So all of that ties together and all of it applies, I think to every human, really, we're all having emotions throughout the day. Are we noticing it? Do we have healthy coping? Do we have unhealthy coping? That really just applies to everybody that becomes part of maintaining your well-being. Yeah. When I hear it, I hear, I totally need this. I, yeah, I just think of everybody has trauma and there, I am recognizing some of my own unhealthy or, or rather checking out behaviors. Like I have them, I know I have them. And it's something that I definitely need help to work on. So I can see this is really helpful and informative to, okay, this might be the next step in my recovery work is really diving in and and getting some of this deeper work done so that I can continue to move forward in the healthiest way possible. Absolutely. And it lends itself to what you just said, because when we can pull those roots, you just don't have so much to manage out there. You're able to stay more connected. You're able to catch when you feel something, you're able to grab those healthy coping when you're just storing, like putting on that backpack of unprocessed stuff every day, it takes a lot, all your energy and effort to haul that backpack around. And that the weight of that is what drags us into disconnect. It's just, it's too much. I always tell people when they come in, like your body will, it'll carry that backpack till it won't, right? That's how we all work. It'll carry it till it won't. Yeah. And the body's wise. It'll talk to you. If it'll start giving you symptoms, anxiety, depression, anger, sometimes the physical issues. And if you already have those, it'll just make them bigger. Yeah. Autoimmune disorders yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the body will tell you that it's done. It doesn't want to carry it anymore. And then you get to just, like you said, maybe go a little further into your work and get some of that done. Yeah. So what could somebody expect after each session? What would, should they expect to feel? And is there any additional work required or needed after a session? So after a session, I'll give you most commonly, people will feel tired and I'll tell them, yes, you were just sitting there, but inside like your body was running a marathon because that's a lot of work 
to get in there and to do that deeper level work. So we always talk about that. Be mindful today. You just worked really hard. And I'll often tell them extra tools today, extra self-care today. If you can take something off your plate, do. I tell them if you can go home and take a nap, do that. So I think a common thing people feel after is tired. Sometimes though, which this is also common, people just feel better. They'll just feel lighter. And some of that weight has been lifted and they just feel better. So that's most common, right? Sometimes, rarely, but sometimes people will feel it the next day and just feel tired or feel like they're trying to plug their tools in and get balanced again. So that happens sometimes, but we've prepared for that. We're ready and we know, and we're not missing it out there. So if you need to clear your day the next day and and do extra tool use and self-care, we've prepared for that. So most often it's tired. Um, Sometimes it's light and, and better. And sometimes often when we've worked it, when you come back the next time, we'll check that back in. Where does it feel now? Check the level that you're experiencing that because sometimes often we have to work it again, depending on what it is. It may take two or three or four times to get all of that moved. So that is, is part of it. EMDR is really cool because they do future templates too. And so we're able to use that in a way where you're preparing for the future. And often in a traumatized brain, traumatized nervous system body that's missing they're not able to see into the future things feel bad and you feel like hopeless and helpless that you can do anything to change it that's part of having trauma in your body and the powerful thing with imagination that I love using is if we can start to use your imagination as we do with future templates you get to see something else so that's another piece of EMDR that I love is that if they can't if they can start to imagine it, then we can start to do it. And previously, maybe they couldn't even imagine something different or better or the change they wanted. And if we can start to imagine it, they can start to do it, basically. And so that's another ending piece that we get to plug in with EMDR. That's interesting that you mentioned that they can't see into the future because I remember doing an art project in an intensive, a weekend intensive, and we did three art projects and one was an art project around the past, an art project around the current situation that we were in, and then an art project around the future. And I could not put any colors at all on my project, Mm -hmm. on my piece where I was imagining the future, I had to leave it completely blank. And now I make the connection here a bit more about why that was. And it was so startling to me because I thought that is just the oddest thing. Why can't I put one color on my future? Even if it's black, why can't I put black on it? And so I'm really appreciative that you mentioned that because that helps me make a connection in my own, own life. Perfect example. Really good mm. example of what that looks like, what that might feel like. And I think that's helpful for people to know. So I'm glad you paused there because to feel stuck in that emotion of just bad, sad, hopeless, right? And then to have awareness on why can't I get out of that? And why does it just feel like I'm always going to feel this way? It's not going to get better that's part of having trauma in your, in your body, in your system. I think just knowing that could bring some comfort. Okay. I get it. I get why that might be there. And just to have a little pushback that it doesn't have to stay that way. It's just how it feels right now, but it's not truth. Yeah. I appreciate you mentioning that. 
So I would imagine that each client would be different in how long they might engage in this type of therapy, but can you give us a approximate time span for what you should give it time for to be able to see if it's really effective for you? I think that people can often feel the effectiveness of it within a few sessions because getting that level of shift, especially if you've never had it before, you feel it. It's like taking a brick out of that backpack. You're going to notice that there's a brick out of that backpack. So I think people can experience what that can do within a few sessions. And it also depends. Sometimes if you come in really disconnected or dissociated, the prep work's going to take longer. So it's hard. It's hard to throw out how long is this going to take. If it's a, because it's different, right? If there's an isolated single event that was recent, those work pretty fast. If it's an old event that's been layered on for 10 or 15 years, that's going to take a lot longer. So I think you can notice, you can feel the difference within a few sessions. So if you're four or five sessions in, I would hope that you would start to, to notice that it's effective, but how long it takes, it's just so hard to throw out how long, because everybody's so different with their experiences. And are we working with just my childhood was great. And then I've got this betrayal trauma, or I've got trauma in my childhood and this betrayal trauma. Once we get in there, I think for me, and I also notice with the people I work with, they want to get it all. They don't want to work just the last 10 years because now they know that those bricks are in their backpack and they, they often want to go clear it all out because it feels better and they don't have to work so hard when it is. So six months, a year, I think is average. And it depends. Some people come every week. Some people come every other week. It's not fast, which I don't think any therapy is fast. If you're in and out, you probably didn't get good therapy because yeah. it's a process of learning and practicing and all the things. So yeah, if you're going to step into it, I would at least wrap your head around six months or a year, depending on what your stuff is. And as far as long-term results go, what would someone be able to expect? That's the great thing about these trauma modalities. Once it's moved, it doesn't go back. So if we effectively work something get it completely processed and adaptively stored. It doesn't move. It stays there. It's not like you have to come back and go, oops, it jumped back over into my unhealthy memory network. So we got to do it again. That doesn't happen. So when you've done it, you've done it and it's done. You're over. And it's very cool to watch in small things, right? Because we talk about using these with our big traumas, but sometimes I might have a teenager come in with test anxiety or when they have to do presentations in front of the class, it just wrecks them. And so, for example, maybe they have to give a presentation. Every time they do it, they cry and throw up. And if we work that, if we put some EMDR on that and work those experiences, maybe in the past, do some future templating with it. I've had the experience where my favorite one was because we worked it one time, this kind of example. We had one session on it. And granted, she's young, so there's not a bunch of layering on her stuff. There's not enough time to have a whole bunch of trauma and issues. We worked this having to give a presentation one time. The next time I saw her, it was just worked out great. She had to give a presentation in front of students and parents, which was a little more intense. And she came in so excited because she said, I didn't cry or throw up. And, and that will never happen again. We moved it so she can do the thing. Not that you don't get nervous or anxious. That's human to feel a little nervous or anxious about having to do a presentation, but she doesn't have to have that overwhelming experiencing of throwing up and crying because she has to present in front of class. So once it's moved, 
It doesn't go back. So I have a follow-up question to that. If the trauma is reoccurring, if that same trauma is reoccurring, is that the same idea? Or if that trauma occurs again, it stores unhealthy? Or since you've already worked it, it doesn't store unhealthy? How does that? No, you probably have to work it again. Because if your body experienced it in that overwhelming way, then in the moment it couldn't process it and it couldn't store it healthy. So you probably are going to have to work it again. And then if you have worked it and if you experience something similar to it, is it possible not to experience that in a trauma way because you've processed it? I think that's what you're talking about in terms of the test anxiety type stuff. But in terms of betrayal trauma, what would you say? (laughs) I think that when we've worked multiple of those, if you have a lot of history, Doing the work, my experience, builds your resiliency. And so it's not like we're throwing a brick into a backpack that's fully loaded. It might be empty. And so you can often manage that more effectively. You can navigate that more effectively. Your resiliency has grown and your self-care usually at that point has too. And so if something with betrayal trauma like that happens again, and you've done work and you've got tools and we've built resilience for you, you know how to step into that in a way more effective way than you did before. We've probably cleared messages, basic stuff. I'm sure you guys talk about all the time. This has nothing to do with you. You don't own any of it, right? It doesn't fire your enoughness messages. It's not your fault. It's not because I'm not enough of something or what I did or didn't do. We've cleared all of that. So you don't have to go through that whole experience. Hmm. I think what you're saying is looking for that thing. Do I build resiliency? And then that thing happens again. And I am more capable and aware to navigate that effectively. Absolutely. Yes. That happens. Naomi, did you have a specific example of what you were thinking about? No, I think that was just, just because I think a lot of women are in this mode and sometimes they're still in the midst of trauma. Maybe their spouse isn't working recovery, but they're doing their work to try and recover. And so you maybe still have a spouse that's acting out and gaslighting and manipulating and things of that nature. And so abusive trauma that's happening in your relationship. So as they're processing that and it's continuing, is that something that, you know, and you answered that it builds resiliency. Is there a point in time where you would, because obviously, like you said, boundaries and self-care are pre-work that you do before you do the EMDR. When you have self-care and boundaries, then you're much more resilient already. And then you start processing that, then you're in a better frame of mind to be able to draw that line and create your own safe space, even when your spouse is still acting out and being abusive and, and things of that nature. You can set your boundaries and create your safety to be able to do your work is what I would yes. imagine. And when we have that foundation laid, you're not going to be experiencing that abuse. So part of what I talk about anyway, with boundaries, for example, the boundary is to create safety for you. So if your spouse comes in and starts gaslighting, we know what that looks like. It's textbook at this point. It doesn't get in, doesn't disrupt you, doesn't make you any kind of way because you already know what it is. We've named it, we've labeled it and you're out, right? Mm -hmm. The boundary says, I'm not going to be here for this. If you're going to show up like that, I'm gone. Exactly. Whether that means leave the room or drive away, whatever that means for you. So 
I think that lends itself to what you're talking about because you are not going to be experiencing those things anymore. If your spouse or partner is going to show up in those ways, you are not going to be available. And I think that is part of what helps maintain that well-being and resiliency and helps you to maintain your work because you're not going to be stepping into those patterns. You're not going to be having those experiences anymore because we've already identified it, labeled it and what your work is in that. And it's clear, right? Yeah. And that is a process too, because sometimes you'll get it and you'll get really good at it. I, one example, so like the, maybe the gaslighting or the showing up really angry or big or making it about you when you say, Hey, when you did that really hurt my feelings. And then it's about you now in in 0.2 seconds, right? Mm -hmm. Just the things that are patterns, we're going to name them. We're going to label them. You're going to know them. So it's not going to disrupt you. And then that process builds. I had an example where she was so good at that. So good at all the things and, and plugging in her work and taking care of herself. And then the, the abusive behavior showed up in like stonewalling, silent treatment. She's not going to talk to you for two days or whatever. That wasn't one of his normals, wasn't one of her normals. So she came in just really heavy and really sad about that. And so I had to tell her that is also abusive. And she sat in it all day. And I think it was a couple days, honestly. And her body felt that because she had been doing such a great job, not sitting in any of that and not experiencing any of that. And then her body had to sit in that for two days or whatever it was, but she didn't know. She didn't know that was part of the abusive behavior. So you can see how that the work is a process because she had to have that show up to know, to bring it in, to learn. Mm -hmm. And now that will never happen again. So yes, with what you said, maybe my spouse isn't doing his work. I'm doing my work. That's how you maintain your well-being and do your work. And that has an expiration date on it, I think too, because at some point he's got to show up because you can't keep doing that indefinitely either, because that's too much for you. That's not okay. And, and perfection isn't required, but you got to see the effort goes a long way. If you can see effort, if you can see change and those behaviors are showing up, we can do that because we're all in a process. Mm-hmm. But to be in what maybe you just described, like I'm showing up, I'm doing my work, and then you're getting a flat line over here. At some point, you have to change the boundary to take care of you, whatever that looks like to you. I don't know. But at some point, I think the boundary on that has to change too, so that you're okay, because you can't do that indefinitely either. Right. That's not good for anybody. Yeah, I really needed to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> From a, just a personal standpoint. Randy, is there anything else that you felt would be really important for our listeners to know about EMDR. Maybe just revisit the pieces of know it's a process. Make sure if you get it somewhere, you're getting that preparation work. So many people don't, and it ends up being harmful because if I'm not aware of my emotions, I don't know how to take care of myself. And then my therapist take the lids off my stuff. You're just going to check out. You're just going to be disconnected to survive. So watch for that. Know A lot of times people come in and they're very anxious, very afraid to do it. And I always tell them, we're not working anything. You haven't already survived. You already did the hard part. So maybe to take some of that anxiety and fear off of it and then know that it shouldn't feel unmanageable or overwhelming. It should move slow enough that it is manageable for you. I think those are important for people to have. How might someone find a qualified practitioner that would help them be able to work through this? If you go to emdr.com, there is a tab that says find a practitioner, find a EMDR therapist, says something like that. In your area, you can look them up. And then I would go just 
maybe Google them and start reading reviews. And not everybody is on there. I don't pay to be on there, but that's a good place to look because it's going to give you a list of therapists in your area that do EMDR. And then you can do a little legwork looking at reviews and stuff. And what would you be looking for in a practitioner? What would be helpful questions to help discern whether or not this particular practitioner would be a good fit? Any advice about that? What I'm going to say about that is to trust your gut because your intuition will probably give you all the information you need. Does it feel like a good fit? Does it feel safe? Do you feel heard? Do you feel supported, validated? Part of EMDR, part of working your trauma is having an empathetic witness that can validate. Does it feel like that? Uh, Because a lot of that's that unspoken stuff. It's not going to be written. I'm not going to write. I do EMDR and I'm an empathetic witness, but your body is going to tell you if that's in the room or not. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, listen to that. And if it doesn't feel that way, you're probably just not in the right spot. I love that. Good advice. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for just coming and sharing all this information. I think it's going to be really helpful. I think that the women that are listening and those who are looking for more information, I think this is a really helpful tool. I know that I learned a lot and I know that I'm going to start looking for my own EMDR therapist because this is definitely something that I feel like would make a big difference in my recovery, taking me to the next level. So I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org, if you would like to enroll in an online therapist-led support group. We'll see you next time.